0: Welcome to this set review for Rexia All Will Be One, covering the potential applications of its exciting new cards. The cards discussed will be partitioned into a few categories. I'll first cover the best cards, the ones that will definitely become staples in at least one deck. The section after that will be dedicated to cards that have various likelihoods of seeing play, meaning they're powerful but still require testing. And lastly, I'll go over the fringe cards. Those that are either meant exclusively for sideboards, are powerful but nonetheless unlikely to see play, or which otherwise have some quality that's worth discussing. New Staples Elish Norn, Mother of Machines, is a 5-mana white 4-7 creature with Vigilance and two other abilities. The first one reads, If a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. The second ability reads, Permanents entering the battlefield don't cause abilities of permanents your opponents control to trigger. These are two very powerful abilities. First, this is going to be a staple in Commander. Pretty much any deck that can run Elish Norn should run her. Not only is she an enormous boon for any of your own permanents, it also shuts off valuable opposing permanents. Two examples that immediately come to mind are Dockside Extortionist and Thassa's Oracle. Next, I think this is going to be a very powerful card in Modern, Pioneer, and possibly Legacy. Some decks in Modern that I think will want this are Elementals and value-based Bant Company decks, whose primary game plan revolves around ETB creatures. Her 5 mana cost is also perfect for playing off Omnat's mana ability, although running her main would disable Kahira as a companion. Of course, any deck that wants her also doesn't want to play against her. Her ability to shut down ETB triggers has been seen on various permanents before, such as Torpor Orb and Hushbringer. The difference is that those prior iterations only affected triggers from creatures entering, whereas Elishnorn affects triggers from any permanent entering. This includes things like Omnath's Landfall abilities and Leyline Binding. Elish Norn could be a great sideboard card against Elementals, since she nearly single-handedly shuts down the deck, with their only outs being temporarily bouncing or a three-fairy, or spending a bunch of mana on Prismatic Ending or March of Otherworldly Light if they run it. Her 7 toughness places her out of range for all toughness-dependent removal, such as Unholy Heat and Dismember, and her anti-trigger ability means Solitude and Leyline Binding no longer function. So she's very resilient against many pieces of removal. She also notably kills dead all Valakut decks, especially Amulet Titan, where she shuts off Valakut, Prime Time, Cultivator Colossus, Amulet, and Bounce Lands. In Pioneer, good candidates for Elnishnorn are the mana white devotion deck, and as a tutor target for bring-to-light decks like Enigmatic Fires. She's less likely in Legacy due to her high mana value, though I could see her being played in white stompy decks since they use soul lands, fast mana, and run many cards shade enhance. The Mycosynth Gardens is a land that taps for colorless, or for which you can pay one mana to filter into a colored mana. However, the real value comes from its third ability, which reads, Pay X mana and tap, the Mycosynth Gardens becomes a copy of target non token artifact you control with mana value X. Looking at the list of available cheap artifacts it can copy, most are unimpressive given their power and how much you have to spend to copy them. However, there's one standout Amulet of Vigor. Because of how much mana you can generate with it via Amulet and a Bounce Land, it also changes how useful Azusa and Arboreal Grazer are since they can lead to additional turn 2 wins. This land is going to be at least a one of an amulet titan, if not a four of that completely upends the land base. Powerful cards Green Sun's Twilight is a sorcery that costs X and a green and says, Reveal the top X plus one cards of your library. Choose a creature card and or a land card from among them. Put those cards into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. If X is 5 or more, instead put the chosen cards onto the battlefield or into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So, it's a sorcery that ideally finds both a creature and a land, and at higher mana payments puts them directly into play. The most likely home for it is Amulet Titan since that deck generates a lot of mana and already wants both creatures and lands, and at 6 mana, it gives you a shot at hitting Primeval Titan, the same amount you'd spend on it anyway. However, the similar turn-timber symbiosis has already proved itself to be mostly mediocre in Amulet Titan, although Greensun's Twilight is more flexible and can be scaled up or down as needed. The biggest obstacle is that the deck would have to make cuts for it, and whether it's better than something like Explore remains to be seen. The next two cards I'll be speaking about back-to-back since they have similar abilities and, I'd imagine, will go in similar decks. These are Nahiri and Tyvar. Nahiri the Unforgiving is a 3-4 mana red and white planeswalker with either 3 or 5 loyalty. These numbers are variable because it costs a hybrid red-white Phyrexian mana which can be paid with 2 life instead, and it has completed, a keyword ability that makes it come in with 2 less loyalty if you pay the life. So, it's either 3 mana with 3 loyalty or 4 mana with 5 loyalty. As we'll see in a bit, the total loyalty is highly relevant to its third ability. So, it has three abilities plus one until your next turn up to one target creature attacks a player each combat if able, so it can sort of protect itself. Then it has plus one, discard a card, then draw a card. And lastly, zero, exile target creature or equipment card with mana value less than Nahiri's loyalty from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of it. That token gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. It's important to note that the card Nahiri rebuys is only of mana value less than her loyalty not equal to it, meaning at 3 mana she can get back 2 mana cards or 3 mana ones after plusing, and at 4 mana she can get back 4 mana cards and 5 mana ones after plussing. So let's get this out of the way up front. While the first and second ability are nice bonuses, the reason to play Nahiri is her third zero ability. Temporarily bringing back equipment isn't that great outside of maybe rebuying destroyed hammers or Luxior since you'll still have to pay to equip them. The primary use is going to be getting back creatures, and there are many different applications she could have. You can use her for value, buying back various creatures with ETB effects. These creatures are usually found in the Bant colors, although there are plenty of mono-white ones and you can also play a four-color mono base. Also, it's important to note that Nahiri only makes a token copy of the card and exiles the original one. Meaning there's no way to reuse the same creature over multiple turns by bouncing, blinking, or sacrificing it, except with effects that cancel the trigger that exiles the token, like Sundial of the Infinite. The best existing options for where Nahiri can go are Greasefang and Pioneer, and devoted druid combo decks in Modern. In Greasefang decks, Nahiri can immediately plus 1 to discard Parhelion or Greasefang, and thereby have enough loyalty next turn to recur Greasefang from the graveyard. While Abzan is the current frontrunner for Greasefang's color combinations, decks like Mardu Greasefang have existed previously and Nahiri could go in them if the tides turn. As for devoted druid, those decks typically include two major weaknesses. The first is that you can't combo the same turn you play druid since you have to wait a turn before you can activate it. And the second weakness, which is related to the first, is that druid is vulnerable to removal. Nahiri makes it so that if druid is in the graveyard, you can immediately recur and activate it. You can even play Nahiri first and then play Druid next turn, immediately kill itself with its untap ability, and recur it with Nahiri so it has haste. This can effectively make the Devoted Druid combo function similarly to Splinter Twin. Devoted Druid decks already include White for Vizier of Remedies, Stoneforge Mystic to tutor for Luxior, and various other cards like Eladamri's Call, so it's easy enough to splash red for Nahiri. And speaking of cards that are good with Devoted Druid... Tyvar, Jubilant Brawler, is a 3-mana black and green planeswalker that starts with 3 loyalty. He has a static ability which reads, you may activate abilities of creatures you control as though those creatures had haste, so he's a 1000-year elixir. The plus 1 ability says, untap up to one target creature. And finally, the minus 2 ability states, mill 3 cards, then you may return a creature card with mana value 2 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So, Tyvar is clearly powerful and useful for enhancing dorks or any other cheap creatures with tap abilities. Like Nahiri, the best home for Tyvar is in Devoted Druid combo decks. To quickly recap what I've already stated when discussing Nahiri, Tyvar solves two of Devoted Druid's major problems, those being the inability to activate Druid immediately and its acceptability removal. Tyvar fixes both issues since he lets Druid activate immediately and he can bring back dead Druids. Devoted Druid decks are traditionally green and white, but lightly splashing into black for Tyvar is an easy ask, especially since they've been known to splash into a third color before, such as in the Rocco version. He also improves Stoneforge Mystic, a card often played in Devoted Druid decks to fetch Luxior or Viridian Longbow. So for example, if you already have Tyvar in play in 4 mana, you can cast Stoneforge, fetch Calder Complete, and immediately activate Stoneforge to put Cauldre into play. Unctus Grand Metatect is a three mana blue 2-4 artifact creature with three abilities. The most important one is the first ability, but for the sake of completeness, I'll cover all three. The first one is, other blue creatures you control have, whenever this creature becomes tapped, draw a card, and then discard a card. The second is, other artifact creatures you control get plus one plus one. And lastly, the third is, for the cost of a single blue Phyrexian mana, until end of turn, target creature you control becomes a blue artifact in addition to its other colors and types. Activate only as a sorcery. So, what can you do with Unctus? Well, Unctus goes infinite with a Feto Alchemist and Legacy. Alchemist is a two-mana one-two blue creature that can tap to untap an artifact or creature, including itself. It also has morph, but that's a backwards way of doing things. So, with both Unctus and a Feto Alchemist in play, you can tap Alchemist, targeting itself untapping it and triggering Unctus' loot ability, and repeat to draw and discard your entire deck. You can then win with any number of shenanigans, like Dread Return and Thassa's Oracle. This combo is obviously highly susceptible to removal, but we have seen similar A plus B combos in the past, such as Witherbloom Apprentice plus Chain of Smog, or the Riddler deck's Containment Construct plus Riddlesmith. Unctus also goes infinite with Seeker of Skybreak, but it's worse than Alchemist and requires a life payment to work, so it's better to just stick with Alchemist unless you want more than four copies. Venerated Rot Priest is a one mono green 1 2 creature with Toxic 1, a new Infect like ability. Toxic causes a creature that deals combat damage to a player to also add a poison counter. This is different from Infect, which dealt damage as poison counters rather than doing both. And unlike Infect, the poison toxic adds is only for a specific amount, in this case, one, not being tied to the creature's power, so you can't pump it to deal more poison. Rot Priest also has whenever a creature you control becomes the target of a spell, target opponent gets a poison counter. So, is Rot Priest good enough to see play in Infect? Well, targeted spells only add one poison for each one you cast on your creatures. However, it adds poison counters in a way that bypasses blockers and which can't be negated with removal spells, and sometimes a problem for Infect is just getting the last few poison counters on their opponent. While it does add poison counters if the opponent casts certain removal spells on your creatures, Rot Priest notably excludes abilities from its trigger, meaning cards like Solitude and Leyline Binding get around it. Another way to trigger Rot Priest is with cheap spells that target it and which can also be reused the most efficient options being cheap auras that bounce themselves, such as Shimmering Wings or Whip Silk, but these are too inefficient. Yet another method is to go the Storm route and use Ground Rift, since the multiple copies from its Storm trigger all target, and it can be combined with other cheap spells like Mutagenic Growth. Lastly, there's a combo of sorts you can do with two Spellskites. If you control two Spellskites and Rot Priest, you can target any of your creatures with the spell, then use each Spellskite to redirect that spell back and forth between them, triggering Rot Priest however many times you can pay two life. However, the massive life payment involved in activating Spellskite means this doesn't work unless the opponent already has at least some poison counters and you have more than twice that amount of life. Spellskite is already potentially useful in infect since it protects your creatures from removal spells, but this combo requires three different cards in play, so I doubt it's good enough. Ultimately, I don't think Priest will get there, but it's powerful enough to be worth testing. Vindictive Flamestoker is a 1 mana red 1-2 creature with 2 abilities. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put an oil counter on Vindictive Flamestoker. The second ability has an initially daunting 7 mana activation requirement, but there's a cost reduction clause. It says, 6 and a red, sacrifice Vindictive Flamestoker, discard your hand, then draw 4 cards. This ability costs 1 less to activate for each oil counter on it. So, Vindictive Flamestoker obviously wants to go in some sort of blue-red Spellslinger deck like Storm, Prowess, or is it Phoenix that can cast tons of cheap spells to trigger it quickly. Obviously, you want the activation cost as low as possible, but the most the ability can cost and still be efficient enough is probably 3 mana, meaning you need to cast at least 4 spells. The card Vindictive Flamestoker is closest to is Bedlam Reveler. They both basically cost a minimum of two red mana and require you to play a bunch of cheap spells in order to discard your hand and draw multiple new cards. However, aside from Flamestoker drawing four cards rather than three, Reveler looks like the much better option to me and it doesn't even see much play anymore. First, Reveler will, in most cases, still be more mana efficient than Flamestoker. Second, Reveler leaves behind a big 3-4 body with prowess, whereas Flamestoker is a 1-2 that sacrifices itself. And third, Reveller works based on any spells you've cast throughout the game, whereas Flamestoker has to already be in play to trigger from each spell. Still, the ability to draw 4 cards for as low as 2 mana is worth testing. Fringe, Sideboard, and Miscellaneous cards. Lastly, we come to mostly weaker cards which either have fringe playability only, or are relegated to sideboards or which have some other quality worth discussing even if they're not good enough. First up, and to get them out of the way, are the Ally Fastlands being reprinted. These aren't new cards, but their inclusion in the set makes them legal in Pioneer, which will improve mana bases in that format. Anyways, moving on. Blue Sun's Twilight is an X and 2 blue sorcery that says, Gain control of target creature with mana value X or less. If X is 5 or more, create a token that's a copy of that creature. Although incredibly minor, since it's unlikely you'll pay 7 mana for this, Blue Sun's Twilight is a strict upgrade to Entrancing Melody, which has seen fringe sideboard play in the past to steal cheap creatures like Death Shadow. Canker Bloom is a 2 mana green 3 2 that has 1 mana, sacrifice Canker Bloom, choose one, destroy target artifact, destroy target enchantment, or proliferate. Canker Bloom joins the family of various 2 mana artifact and enchantment hating creatures like Kasali Pride Mage and Cathar Commando. The Proliferate option is mostly superfluous, although one deck that might wanna is Harden Scales. It'll see play if a deck is interested in hitting artifacts or enchantments and is either restricted to only green mana, or cares about the 3-2 creature over cheaper, spell-based alternatives, or cares about the Proliferate mode. Capricious Hellraiser is a red 4-4 creature with flying. It's 6 mana, 3 generic and 3 red, but it costs 3 generic less if you have 9 or more cards in your graveyard, which is eminently doable in blue-red Spellslinger decks. Then it has, when Capricious Hellraiser enters the battlefield, exile 3 cards at random from your graveyard. Choose a non-creature, non-land card from among them and copy it. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. Before I get to why I don't think this will see play in the older formats, let's just analyze the base rate. Assuming you can reduce its cost, which I think is fairly simple to achieve, a 4-4 flyer for 3 mana that recasts a random spell, even if that spell is on the lower end like a Lightning Bolt or Consider, is a good rate, and if you hit bigger spells like Pieces of the Puzzle, all the better. The problem is the cards Capricious Hellraiser is competing against. The requirement to have a large graveyard and it exiling 3 of those cards directly competes against other powerful cards that also use the graveyard as a resource. First off, Merktide Regent is just better than this. It's cheaper, bigger, and doesn't cost triple red pips. That puts Capricious Hellraiser out of Modern and Legacy contention. But even going to Pioneer, this is competing with Treasure Cruise and Temporal Trespass. In a deck like Is it Phoenix, I don't think this is even better than any of the creatures that deck plays, among them Phoenix of course, Thing in the Ice, and Ledger Shredder. Conduit of Worlds is a 4 mana green artifact that says you may play lands from your graveyard, and tap, choose target non-land permanent in your graveyard. If you haven't cast a spell this turn, you may cast that card. If you do, you can't cast additional spells this turn. Activate only as a sorcery. Conduit of Worlds joins many other artifacts as a possible wish target for Karn the Great Creator, specifically in Pioneer Nykthos ramp. Its positives are that it lets you replay Nykthoses that were bin due to the legend rule and recast other valuable permanents for one less mana than restorative burst. The downsides are that Restorative Burst already basically does what this does and that the inability to cast more spells when you use it directly hinders Nykthos Ramp's storm-like combo turns. I think it's worth testing, but I'm highly dubious of it. Geth Thane of Contracts is a 3 mana black 3-4 creature with other creatures you control get minus 1 minus 1 and 1 and 2 black mana, tap, return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains if this creature would leave the battlefield, exile it instead, activate only as a sorcery. So right away, this is a reanimator card that can't be played alongside certain kinds of other creatures like low-toughness monodorks or aggressive attackers, meaning the creatures you want to bring back with it are either big bombs like Archon of Cruelty or those that have value-generated ETB effects where you don't care about their stats. It's less efficient than all-in reanimator cards like Persist, meaning it can only show up in formats missing those cards, such as Pioneer. Even so, I think it's far too inefficient to see play. Kemba During is a 2-mana white 2-2 that says, whenever it or another cat enters the battlefield under your control, attach up to one target equipment you control to that creature. Also, equipped creatures you control get plus one plus one. And also, lastly, 3 and 2 white mana create a 2-2 white cat creature token. The only notable thing about Kemba is that it's yet another addition to the as-yet incomplete Pioneer Hammer Time deck. Pioneer is missing many of the cards that make Hammer Time so good and Modern, namely Pure Steel Paladin, Stoneforge Mystic, Ink Moth Nexus, and Urza's Saga. However, the two most important pieces, Cigar Aid and Colossus Hammer, are legal and there are a number of options both for searching for equipment and bypassing Hammer's equip cost. While similar to Core Outfitter, I don't think Kembo alone will make the deck viable, but it's yet another piece for it. Kethic, Crucible Goliath, is a 4-mana black and red 4-4 legendary creature with, At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-legendary creature card with lesser mana value, put it onto the battlefield, then put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. There are a lot of hoops to jump through here. First, you need an expensive creature that you can cheat into play or cost reduce to sac for the bomb creature you actually want. Some obvious options are Delve or Affinity-esque creatures that have high mana values but cost little mana in actuality, with the best one I think being Scion of Draco. Second, even if you accomplish the first part to essentially cascade into your bomb creature, you either can't have any other cheap creatures in your deck since there's a possibility of hitting them instead, or they all have to be legendary since Kethic's ability excludes legends. However, there are a number of good 1-2 mana legendary creatures you could play, with some examples being Ragavan, Croxa, and Torak. and if you're willing to branch out of strictly Black Red, Thalia, Fibblethup, and the Reality Chip. We've also seen some similar 4-mana combo engines work before, such as Enigmatic Incarnation. But with all that being said, this is still a lot of hoops to jump through, 4 manas on the higher side, and Kethic is still only a 4-4 with no other abilities, so my verdict is it won't make it. Malira, the Living Cure, is a 2-mana green-white 3-3 creature with two abilities. First, if you would get one or more poison counters, instead you get one poison counter and you can't get additional poison counters this turn. And, exile Malira, choose another target creature or artifact. When it's put into a graveyard this turn, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Right away, Malira is very similar to Saphyaric's daughter but with a slight anti-poison upside, better stats, and the ability to recoup artifacts alongside creatures. However, the big downside is that she exiles herself, so you can't do the potential sacrifice and combo loop shenanigans that Safi enabled with cards like Renegade Rallyer. Plus, Safi was only a fringe card to begin with. So, if Melira sees play, it'll be in a deck that would've wanted Safi, but values the better stats or ability to get back artifacts over the exile cost. Minor Misstep is a single mana blue instant that reads, counter target spell with mana value 1 or less. This is obviously an allusion to Mental Misstep, although Mental Misstep was so good because it was free, but Minor Misstep can also hit zero mana spells as well. I don't know much about Vintage, but I imagine there's some value in being able to snipe cards like Moxon or Black Lotus. Outside of that though, the range of spells this can hit is extremely narrow. The best targets for this are likely Tempo spell or combo decks that play tons of cheap creatures and cheap interaction like Delver, Death Shadow, Legacy Reanimator, etc. It also hits the Cascade payoffs, making it a viable answer to those decks. Misstep is almost certainly not main deckable though since there are many other decks that don't have enough good targets for it, meaning it's better off as a sideboard card. Now, as a sideboard card, it's worse than other options for any given specific use, but better as a broader answer. So for example, Misstep is worse than Flusterstorm versus Cascade and worse than Mystical Dispute against Blue decks but it has more uses against a variety of decks as opposed to those other spells' narrower uses. Safe Safehouse is a 3 mana artifact that has all activated abilities of lands in all graveyards. Note that's activated abilities, so no dark depth shenanigans. The problem is, if you actually sit down and think about what activated abilities would be worth it, combined with the fact you need to pay 3 mana for this artifact and somehow get the lands into your graveyard, there's not much that's worthwhile. The most immediate application that comes to mind is Nykthos Ramp in Pioneer since that deck often churns through multiple Nykthoses and thus legend rules ones to the graveyard, and Karn can fetch safehouse from the sideboard, essentially netting a second Nykthos, but I find this proposition dubious. It can also be a 3 mana gilded Lotus if you put Lotus Field in the graveyard. The fact is though, there's actually very little you can do with this. However, it actually enables an infinite combo in Legacy. Let me explain. If you're not familiar with the reserved list powerhouse Gryphon Canyon, allow me to enlighten you. Gryphon Canyon is a land from Visions that has tap, untap target Gryphon. If it's a creature, it gets plus one plus one until end of turn. So, all we need to do is turn Mirren Safehouse into a Gryphon, which we can do with Mutavolt. We can then tap to activate the Gryphon Canyon ability, targeting itself, which untaps it and gives it plus one plus one, repeating to create an infinite power safehouse. Okay, okay, this combo's jank, especially since there's no efficient way of getting multiple specific lands into your graveyard, and this is Legacy we're talking about, but come on, it's awesome. No? Just me? Alright, moving on then. Norn's Wellspring is a 2 mana white artifact with, whenever a creature you control dies, scry 1 and put an oil counter on Norn's Wellspring. And, 1 mana, tap, remove 2 oil counters from Norn's Wellspring, draw a card. While this looks like it could be in addition to sacrifice decks, there's two problems. First, Wellspring is white, a color not included in Sacrifice decks, which are typically Rakdos or Jund. And second, not only is it slow and inefficient, it's also just worse than Transmogrant's Crown, and that doesn't see play either. Phyrexian Arena, while not a new card, its reprint here makes it legal in Pioneer and Modern. Modern's power level has increased dramatically to the point where I'm dubious of Arena doing anything in that format. I'm also wary of it being good enough in Pioneer, but less so there since it could be the addition that the Mono Black Devotion deck needs to finally get off the ground. And speaking of, Phyrexian Obliterator. This reprint makes the card legal in Pioneer, where it will do nothing, the same as Modern. The power level of the game at large has increased dramatically, with Obliterator easily outclassed by other four Mono Black creatures like Kalidus and Shieldred. And no, just because it has four Black pips in its cost doesn't make it good in Black Devotion. So, moving on. Skrelv, Defector Might, is a 1-mana white 1-1 legendary artifact creature with Toxic 1 which can't block and which has Pay a white Phyrexian mana and tap, choose a color. Another target creature you control gains Toxic 1 and Hexproof from that color until end of turn. It can't be blocked by creatures of that color this turn. So essentially, this is giver of runes, but usually worse. It has one less toughness, which makes it susceptible to cards like Renin Six, can't block, requires a mana or life payment to activate its ability, which is also worse than granting color protection, and since it's legendary, you can't have multiples of it in play. On the other hand, it being an artifact and legendary is relevant for things like Mox Amber, Pure Steel Paladin, and Urza Saga tokens. If you're already playing Giver of Runes and want more than four copies and you're not playing Legacy, where Mother of Runes is legal, Skrelv is up for consideration. It also has a potential home in Pioneer for decks like Boros Heroic or Grease since Mom and Giver aren't legal in that format. Skrelv's Hive is a two mana white enchantment with, at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life and create a 1-1 Colorless Phyrexian Might artifact creature token with Toxic 1 and This Creature Can't Block. Also, as long as an opponent has three or more Poison counters, creatures you control with Toxic have lifelink. That last ability aside, which should happen infrequently enough for it to not be in consideration when evaluating the card, Squrelv's Hive is sort of the White Bitterblossom. The problem is that Bitterblossom hasn't been a playable card in Modern for some time, and Toxic 1 plus can't block are almost assuredly worse abilities than Flying. The only upside I see is that the tokens are Artifacts, which could be relevant for Artifacts Matter cards. You could try it in Pioneer's Sacrifice decks, but it's off-color and those decks already have access to a better token maker in Cult Anvil. Soulless Jailer is a 2 mana colorless 0-4 artifact creature with two abilities. Permanent cards in graveyards can't enter the battlefield, and players can't cast non-creature spells from graveyards or exile. So, this is yet another in a long line of cheap, colorless sideboard artifact hate cards, in this case targeting graveyard and cascade strategies. The card it's most similar to is Weathered Runestone, except swapping the ability to hit things like Collected Company with hitting Cascade instead. As always, this is a meta call for if the effects are worth running the card in your sideboard. Incidentally, the fact that it's not just an artifact but also a creature makes it more susceptible to removal. The Filigree Silex is a 2 mana artifact that's 99% similar to Ratchet Bomb. The small differences are that Filigree Silex is legendary and that it uses oil counters instead of charge counters. It also has a third ability, but it requires removing 10 oil counters from permanence, which is basically never happening. Ratchet Bomb was already not a good card, only seeing extremely fringe sideboard play and is almost always just worse than Engineered Explosives. The only reason to run this over Ratchet Bomb is if being legendary matters for some reason. Also, using oil counters instead of charge counters actually does matter for decks like Dice Factory, which can add more charge counters to Ratchet Bomb via Core Tapper and Power Conduit. Thrun, Breaker of Silence, is a 5-mana, 5-5 green creature with this spell can't be countered, trample, Thrun can't be the target of non-green spells your opponents control or abilities from non-green sources your opponents control, and, as long as it's your turn, Thrun has Indestructible. Thrun is essentially a smaller, 1-mana cheaper version of Carnage Tyrant since can't be targeted by non-green stuff is practically the same thing as Hexproof, although the Indestructibility does get around certain effects. Like Tyrant, Thrun is an anti-control creature that'll show up occasionally in sideboards. Speaking of Carnage Tyrant, we have Tyrnex Rex, a 7-mana green 8-8 creature with this spell can't be countered, Trample, Ward 4, Haste, and Toxic 4. If you're already in the market for a card like Carnage Tyrant, an anti-control finisher meant to win the long game, the difference between 6 and 7 mana isn't too relevant. The meaningful differences here are the addition of Haste, but with a downgrade from Hexproof to Ward 4. In many cases, having to spend an extra 4 mana on a removal spell or sweeper will prevent Tyronex Rex from biting it, especially if you can run it out quickly in a ramp deck like Amulet Titan or Scapeshift, Shift, but it won't always. Removal spells have become extremely powerful and, in a longer game, spending 4 to 5 mana on a Solitude or lane line Binding won't be an issue. Still, I think Haste more than makes up for that, and I'd expect to see Carnage Tyrant swapped out for this. Lastly, I want to mention Atraxa Grand Unifier, not for the card itself, but because of what it says in the text box. Atraxa cares about card types, and in the reminder text at the bottom it mentions the different card types, one of which is Battle, a card type that doesn't exist yet. There are no battle-type cards in the set, so we can only speculate, but this does add a new card type for cards that already care about that sort of thing, like Tarmogoyf, Dragon's Rage Channeler, Emrakul, The Promised End, etc. So depending on what exactly battle-type cards are and how good they are, they could make certain cards better in older formats. I hope you've enjoyed this set review of Phyrexia All Will Be One. Thank you to my supporters, and if you enjoy these videos, consider supporting the channel. And take care.